interest and in, in work in our life. See, while we may not be expecting it, and, and, and especially based on some of the weighty issues that we have dealt through through the book of Ecclesiastes, sometimes it feels really strange to us when we come to the word rejoice. But the reality is, is that is exactly what he has been drawing out. As we come now to, to the end of this book, and, and we've got one more week in it, as we come now to the end of the book, one of the conclusions he draws, and it's not just a conclusion he draws, it's a command he gives for his students to follow, it's to rejoice, to live a life filled with joy in spite of the darkness, in spite of the difficult days, in spite of the things that are happening in this life under the sun, rejoice. This is now the seventh time, six times previous, now the seventh time that Solomon has brought out the call to rejoice. And so before we jump too deeply into this text, I just want to highlight these others for you. The words will be on the screen behind me, but I would, I, I would encourage you to flip through the passages with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. In verse 24 through 25, the context is, is all the hard work, all the wealth, all the pleasure, all the, all the wisdom that he had was going to end in futility. And he comes to this place where he says, in verse 24, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat, drink, and find enjoyment in his toil. This is from the hand of God. Find enjoyment in spite of all the futility because it is God's gift to you, these things. In chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, after walking through, demonstrating to us the sovereignty of God in light of God's sovereignty over the seasons and times and, and realities of our life, he says, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 22, just a few verses later, in light of that same teaching, it's the same call to rejoice, to, to enjoy this life. So I saw that there's nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. We, we turn and, and in, in the text, in the context of, of teaching us to fear this God, to recognize the awesomeness of this God, the power of this God, he turns in and tells us about the vanity of wealth and how it ends in futility. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his Lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions of power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in this toil. This is the gift of God. Not only are we commanded to rejoice in these things, not only is he showing us that we have every reason to rejoice in these things, he's saying that God even gives us the power to rejoice in these things. Even the ability to enjoy them is God's gift. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, you flip, it, flip over to that context and, and, and he's talking to us about wisdom. The overarching theme is wisdom. Wisdom is limited. Wisdom is weak. It's vulnerable. In verse 15, he comes to the place where he says, and I commend joy for man. 
has for has nothing better under the for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. There's nothing better in this life than to realize that we are out of control, that we are limited, that we are vulnerable, that we are dependent creatures, that we are not the creator, but to enjoy the gifts of our creator. And then finally, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 7 through 9, reminding us again. It's not the first time he talks about it. It's a, it's a topic that finds its way, weaves its way through the whole book. But he reminds us again that eventually we all die. No matter how hard we try, we all die. But he says in verses 7 through 9, Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. That's a, that's a practice of expressing joy. Enjoy life with the wife whom, whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because this is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Repeatedly, over and over, he has called us to rejoice in spite of the darkness, in light of the darkness and difficulty that we face. And now, at the close of his book, as, he, as, as he's concluding these reflections, as he's giving final directions for his students to follow, to, to go and apply what he's taught, he does it again. Rejoice. Now, the reason I want you all to see this is, is uh, that in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all the heavy texts, in the midst of all the perspectives that we could look at as, a, as, as, as we've studied Ecclesiastes, I want you to see that this call to rejoice is just not something he's tagged on the side. I want you to see that Solomon isn't some depressed guy who's in the midst of a midlife crisis, who's pessimistic and a glutton for punishment. He's not just simply somebody that's got a negative perspective on life and, should, and, and needs to be woken up to see how, how positive things really are. He is a person who's taking a very real look at life. He's taking a very real look at the difficult realities that we live in so that we can finally, clearly see the positive. It's time to quit living in the deception that's been painted for us. Solomon's, Solomon's reality, Solomon's world was very different circumstantially than ours, but the, but the underlying current was the same. He lived among a people who thought they'd find their joy in life under the sun. And he's pointing out all of these harsh realities so that they can finally see that life under the sun and all of man's vain pursuits lead to death. But life can be found as a gift from God. Life can be found. Life can be found from beyond the sun. No matter how much wisdom, wealth, pleasure, work. If you look to those for the source of your joy, you will be sorely, sadly disappointed. But if you can learn to receive them as God's gift to you. If you can learn to receive that even the, the, the difficult things in this life, even the difficult realities of this life are purposeful and intentional for God's glory and our good. 
Even the hardest thing you've endured, we've studied it in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, even the hardest thing you've endured, the darkest day of your life, Solomon teaches us that God intends it to make you beautiful. These are God's gifts. They come from his hand. And they are to be enjoyed. Now it can seem flippant at times to sing a song like, this is the day that the Lord has made. And I understand that. I get it. In fact, this weekend I was wrestling with myself to apply it. There's so many things wrong around us. So many difficulties in this very room. And you don't know them all. I don't even know them all, but I know many of them. I can look around the room and I can think of the things going on in the lives of people, the, the weights that people have carried, the struggles that people have endured, the, the, the very circumstances that they face in their life today. They really make mine seem pretty insignificant. But yesterday, when I realized that we were short a worship leader, and I was going to need to figure, out, figure that part out. And then, then I come here and find water in the basement of the house. And I'm going to have to figure that out because we need that space this morning. And, and then the, the, the person who's supposed to run lyrics gets sick. And I'm going to have to figure that out. Well, that all came crashing down. I mean, this is just an event, but it's a pretty important event in the life of our church that we gather together. We worship the, glory, the, the Lord together. We, we hear from his words. It's a pretty important event, and I, I, th- I see the value in it, so I feel all that, and, and I feel the pressure come crashing down, and I struggle in the midst of that to rejoice. It seems pretty small when you think about that this last Friday is a day that a bunch of government workers didn't get a paycheck. Seems pretty small when you find out that a girl that had been missing whose parents had been killed was found, but she'd been missing and her parents had been killed. Seems pretty small. But the beauty of this passage is that Solomon doesn't say rejoice. He doesn't say do this now because these things don't matter. He says look at them, know them with full knowledge of them heading right at you. Rejoice. It's a radically different message than the world would send. The time to rejoice is now. Life under the sun is often dark and difficult, but it is God's gift to be received in joy. This is the message that Solomon has been sending us. This is the message he has been building towards. This book is not a book of darkness and pessimism. It's a book that speaks truth so we can finally see the light so that we can find joy. Solomon is committed to ensuring that his students find the truest of true joys. He is not simply being light and flippant. He is being serious and direct and honest. He hasn't just said it. He's actually going to teach us how to accomplish it. In fact, there's three, and, and I didn't even have to work hard for this. There's three R words through this text that help us see exactly how to how to see it, to remember, to remove, and or, I'm sorry, to rejoice, to remember, and to remove. Man, I've messed it up again. To rejoice, to remove, and remember. That's the order of them. That's what he tells us to do. And that's exactly how we find 
our joy. And that's what we're going to walk through. We're going to see that. The first is rejoice. Rejoice now in the life you have, not the one you wish you had. Rejoice, he says. And, and you can see it. Light is sweet. It's pleasant to the, for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Rejoice now. Don't, don't rejoice when you achieve some place in life. Find ways to rejoice now. In fact, the next verse, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Rejoice now. Don't wait. If you're waiting for some, something to become in your life or to achieve something in your life to rejoice, you're going to find more trouble. Darkness is still coming. The reality is you'll find reasons not to rejoice. If you won't rejoice now, you're not going to rejoice then. Rejoice in your youth before a life's worth of difficulty makes it impossible to find reason to rejoice. It's always striking to me, and I don't mean this in any disrespect. Please don't don't hear that as I say it. But it's always striking to me when a five-year-old tells me how bad his life is. You've heard it. It's the worst day of my life. You've had a lot of those, huh? What do you think it sounds like to an 80-year-old when a 20-year-old says, Oh, this is just so tough. You see, we think once we achieve adulthood, we really know. But the reality is there's still plenty of years to find out how difficult this life is. Striking to me. When in a position of youth, we think we've got it so hard. When we still have years and years, should the Lord let us stay here for years and years, we still have years and years and years to accumulate the troubles of this life. Darkness is coming. That's what he says. Difficult days will. So if you're waiting to rejoice until your retirement, I can guarantee, I promise you right now, your retirement will be fraught with difficulty even if you're not working a job. Facebook may make people believe that it's great, but I know people who are retired and lost their sense of purpose and lost their sense of reason to get up in the morning, I might as well just die. Rejoice in your youth now before there's a life's worth of difficulty that makes it nearly impossible to find reason to rejoice. Don't wait to rejoice when you achieve the life you want. Rejoice in the life God has given you as his gift. Look, this isn't just Solomon either, just in case you're wondering. This isn't just a Solomon's wise perspective, life under the sun. We've got to figure this out, how it works in the whole flow of the scripture. This is a clear expectation across the scripture. Solomon's not the only one who's commanded this. Paul commands it to the church. To the church, he says, Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He repeats it because he means it. Did you hear me? Rejoice. Oh, let me say it again. Rejoice. This is no small thing. It's not optional. It's not a, not a thing that we can opt, opt out of. Rejoicing isn't something that shouldn't be a mark of God's people. In his book, um, Looking, or Living Life Backward, that's written on the book of Ecclesiastes, David Gibson does a really good job of, of lining some of these things out. And Rather than try to do it in my own words, I just thought I'd share a few quotes from you. Plus, that way, if you don't like them, you can be mad with him instead of me, right? I've got enough things going on this weekend. I don't need you mad at me too. 
just kidding. You can be mad at me if you want. And we'll sit down and talk, and I'll tell you to rejoice. How's that? All right, no, just, I'm kidding. Let's, let's pull it back, Seth. Pull it back. All right, so first, quoted from a commentary, he writes this. It's, it's a commentary that's the, it, it's, it's one, of the, one of the basic commentaries that if you're going to study Ecclesiastes, this guy, C.L. Siao, he is uh, from China. He's, man, he has just a phenom- done a phenomenal work. Anchor Yale Bible Commentary. Uh, it's one of, the, one of the best works out there on Ecclesiastes. Um, he writes this in light of this passage. He writes, human beings are supposed to enjoy life to the full because that is their divinely assigned portion. And God calls one into account for failure to enjoy. Enjoyment is not only permitted, it is commanded. It is not only an opportunity, it is a divine imperative. Now from this, from this quote, from this commentary, David Gibson then draws this conclusion. Pleasure is a divine decree that we ignore at our peril, for it is precisely in enjoying the world God has made that we show how we have grasped the goodness of God, the, of the God we say we love Failure to enjoy is an offense, not merely an oversight. Now, in case you miss it in that quote, he goes a little bit further on the next page and he says, not to live gladly, joyfully, and not to drink deeply from the wells of abundant goodness that God has lavished on us is sin. So when he says it's an offense, what he's saying is it's sin. It is sin, and it is a sin because it is a denial of who God is. He writes who he is, but I want you to see of who God is. It is, a, it is a denial of God's covenant blessing. It is a repetition of the first sin, the primal sin of pride. See, to not rejoice in this life that God has given us is to assume that God is keeping something from us, that somehow he made a mistake in our life, that somehow he's left us to suffer with no purpose, that somehow he doesn't love us like he says he does, that somehow we deserve something better than he's given us. And believe it or not, that's exactly how Adam and Eve began to think as soon as they were deceived by the serpent. Oh, he said you'd die if you ate that fruit? Oh, he didn't mean you'd die. He just doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to become all you can become. He doesn't want you enjoy to enjoy this life to the fullest. How many times have you thought that before you stepped into something that you know dishonors the Lord? How has that attitude been an undercurrent in your life when you have a bad day at work? When you get a call that somebody's not going to make it and you got to cover for them and when you walk into a basement that's got water in it, that's going to cause you a major inconvenience. And, and see, I'm, I, I recognize I'm using some things from the story of my last day, last 24 hours, metaphorically. You know how often I sit with people who aren't satisfied with their work because they think God's supposed to make them have a good job, even though he said in his curse, you will 
find thorns and thistles as you seek to work. You know, you know how often I sit with a young person who is disillusioned with the world because simply because I had this dream job and it didn't measure up to what I expected it to be. It never will. You know how many people I sit and, and hear that I just, God doesn't, God, God, I, I just don't understand what God's doing. I, I hate my job. I need a new job. And instead of rejoicing with the very fact that you got a job that gives you food to eat, you got people around you that love you. You see, not to enjoy life now is a rejection of the fact that this is the life God intends for you. You're not in this set of circumstances. You're not in this event. You're not facing the struggles and the difficulties and the darkness because he's forgotten you or because he wants to keep something from you. It's because he wants you to look someplace else for your joy. It's exactly what Solomon has been telling us. Don't look to this world for your joy. It's only vanity. It's only futility. It's fleeing. It ends. And eventually we face death. Joy will not come from anything under the sun. It must be given as a gift by a God that lives above the sun. So quit waiting for some set of circumstances to rejoice in. Rejoice now in the life that you have been given. Not the life that you wish you had. It is God's gift to you that you take this breath. And that you walk this path. And it's a misunderstanding. And it's a denial of his sovereignty to do anything less and so I've used, I, I've used my own set of circumstances here these last 24 hours. I want you to recognize this has been a theme in my life that I am learning very clearly in this text. I am not standing here preaching to you or preaching at you as one who thinks he's got it all together. I'm preaching as one who sits in this place that you sit and needs to hear it. This all fell in place in last night as I'm sitting. What in the world am I so frustrated about? Why am I so angry? Rejoice now. And the next piece of, of, of advice, not advice, the next command he gives, actually, it's not advice. It's not some conclusion he drew and hope we'd get. He's commanding us these things. Verse 9, remove the anger and the evil that keeps you from a life of joy. Look at it, verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and sight of your eyes, but know for all these things God will bring you into judgment. I'm sorry, it's verse 10. Here we go, just one more way. that Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. Now, we've got to do a little work here because we don't walk around using the word vexation, do we? You, you talk about vexation much? Well, we have to talk about what that means. So I, instead of trying to de- define the English word, I, I prefer to understand what the Hebrew word is, and it's anger, frustration, grief. In fact, if you read in the NASB, NASB the New American Standard Bible, it actually draws out the, the nuance of the word, and it, it, it just says, remove anger and grief. It's seeing the fullness of the word there. 
But it doesn't stop at removing vexation, anger, frustration, grief. It doesn't stop at removing that. It says put away, which is another way of saying remove. Pain from your body. Now, this was an interesting thing because as I, as I studied this and I thought, well, how in the world does, is he telling me to take more Tylenol, to take an ibuprofen? I don't understand what, what does that mean. And in the commentaries, as I studied this, they're all talking about different perspectives of it. Some are talking about do things that don't hurt you. And that's, that's not, sometimes things hurt, right? I mean, it's just the reality of it. Endurance requires some level of physical effort that leads to some level of pain. You ever work out? I, 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 I know I don't look like I'm the most fit person in the world, but my wife and I work out pretty frequently. And it hurts, but we're getting healthier because of it. I, I'm sore many days, but would they, is that what he's saying? Just don't do anything. If, if it feels good, do it. If it hurts, don't do it. Right. Is that the motto that you know? So again, I go digging and I'm like, well, what is he trying to get at? And the reality is the word pain literally, and you can see it in the footnote. If you're reading in the ASV or if you're reading in the NASB, you can also see the footnote. That word pain literally means evil. Put away evil from your body. The word body literally translate as flesh. I think the King James Version in this instance actually provides us a better translation of this. Remove sorrow from thy heart. Remove sorrow from your heart for those that don't know what thy is. Remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh. Put away evil, remove the evil action from your life, from the flesh. From the, seek not to practice evil things. I think the idea here that Solomon is getting at is he's got this mind and body reality, this holistic approach to living a life before God. Rejoice, he says. And now one of the ways he teaches us to rejoice is by removing the, the, the harmful, destructive thoughts, the, the, the destructive emotions that lead us to places where we shouldn't go and then practice a life of holiness before God. Live according to his standards and within his design. I think that's what Solomon's getting at. See, we often assume that God gives us rules because he's a cosmic killjoy and just doesn't want us to have any fun. Right? So all these antiquated commands from the Old Testament, all these antiquated commands from the Scripture in general, oh, well, that's, you know, that was necessary then, but we're an enlightened people. We know better. We know how to have a good time. We know how to find our joy. Listen, brothers and sisters, he gives us rules so that we can find our joy. He gives us boundaries to live within because he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows better what's best for us. Much like a parent doesn't let their child eat nothing but dessert and candy. You know, God knows better for you, knows better what you need than you do. I know that is a very difficult thing for some of us to swallow. You don't know all you need to know to know the fullness of joy. But God does. And thankfully, he's given us his word that provides for us wisdom and insight and discernment. And yes, even commands and rules to live by that we might know the fullness of joy.
When Paul was writing to the Philippian church, just a few verses after that verse where he calls us to rejoice or calls the church to rejoice, he, he, he gives us the same paradigm, the same, the same similar instruction. He says, finally, brothers, in verses 8 through 9 of chapter 4, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You hear that? He's calling us to fill our minds with the positive. Solomon's approaching it with, 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 with the negative perspective. Get rid of that stuff. Get rid of, this, get rid of the things in your mind that remove joy. Get rid of the anger. Get rid of the grief. Get rid of the frustration. Quit thinking about them so much. Paul approaches it from a more positive perspective. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Displace all the negative emotion, all the frustration, all the anger, all the grief with things of the Lord. Whether you recognize it or not, and in the context you can see it much clearer, every one of those point to Jesus. Every one of them. This is not to say that we aren't going to struggle and wrestle. I've already talked about it in my own life. This is not to say that the very difficult things that we deal with are are very difficult to deal with. This is not to say that there is is, is a reality that that, that, um, that, if we just do this, it's going to make everything right. We're never going to have any struggles. No, Solomon reminds us over and over and over. Brothers and sisters, when our mind is transformed by the truth and the joy that comes from having our mind fixed on Christ, the circumstances don't have to change because our heart is changed. The heart of the man being changed, the, the reality of his perspective being changed, change, changes how we approach the world around us. I've seen that happen over and over and over again. In the midst of the depths of despair, you see someone's heart tuned to the Lord and they quit thinking so heavily on the grief because they've replaced it with the thing that gives them joy. But, but Paul doesn't stop there. Solomon didn't stop there. It's not just a mind thing. It's a practice thing. It's a life thing. It's a removing sin from flesh thing. What you have learned and, dece- or learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Don't just think them. Do them. Practice them. Don't just let it be theories that roll around in your head. Get up and take a step on them. Trust them so that they... Form the practice of your life. That's the the same perspective we're getting from Paul and Solomon both. Remove vexation. Get rid of the anger. Quit thinking upon those things that frustrate you so. Put away evil from your flesh. Follow the example of Paul. As he follows Christ, you follow Paul. As you have others around you. In fact, he points to others around him. In another passage in Philippians. Follow their example. Live in light of the scripture. The idea is that we both think and practice in things in such a way that they are honorable to God. Set your mind on the right stuff. Do the right things. This is Solomon's call. So rejoice in the life that God has given you. Remove the anger and evil or the anger and sin, if you will, that keeps you from a life of joy. 
And third, remember. Remember your creator while you still can. In chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember your creator while you still can. This has already been hinted at. This is not the... He's already been kind of building this out and preparing us from this moment because remember back when he said rejoice in your youth remember god's gonna god's gonna bring into judgment everything you do he, he says rejoice in your youth chase after the desires of your heart but remember god will bring you into judgment then he comes down here in chapter 12 verse 1 he says remember also your creator in the days of your youth listen if we don't if we don't remember our creator we're not going to temper the desires of our heart right if we, don't, if we don't recognize God as our creator, then we, we, we have no reason to be concerned with what he thinks or how he's designed us. If we will not remember him as our creator, we will not temper the desires of our heart. We'll run after even those things that would dishonor him, but are also going to lead to, to vanity and futility that, that, that only give way to death. If we don't remember our creator, we, we're not going to realize just how destructive all these desires of our hearts are. Listen, if we don't remember our Creator, quite honestly, we have no opportunity to really know joy. This, this, isn't, this isn't just some thing he tagged on because he wanted three R's, right? The reality is that, well, he wouldn't have got three R's anyway. doesn't rhyme in Hebrew either. This is the very central point that he's been building towards all the way through. Remember your creator if you're ever going to know joy. See, he's commanding us to keep the creator front and center. He's commanding us to to make him the, the focus of our life, to make him central to our life, to know him, to remember that he has authority, that he's sovereign, that he's at work in the world, to remember That he actually exists and he actually cares. To remember this creator. The reason Solomon is using all these contrasting ideas the way he does. Remember your creator before the days of evil come. Because days of evil are real. The life under the sun begets evil days. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart, but remember, God's going to judge you. Remember, or or, I'm sorry, rejoice in all all the years you have. But remember, days of darkness will be many. The the reason he's using all these contrasting perspectives is so that we can see what he sees. We'll never find joy sourced from life under the sun. The whole of mankind is seeking it. Everyone wants joy. Everyone wants to be happy. But the source of joy is not found below the sun. Joy only comes from above the sun. It comes from our creator. It comes from knowing him and living with this memory of him, of recognizing him. The reason we don't have joy today is because we quit recognizing Him. As soon as Adam and Eve ate that fruit, they gave into a lie, they believed this lie, and they thought, we're going to find our own joy. We're going to find our own way of wisdom. We're going to get what we want. And they rejected Him. And even though He's plain, Paul says, even though He's made His existence clear, Paul says, we have forgotten Him. We do not honor Him or give Him thanks. 
Solomon's call then to remember him is a call to repent, to quit pursuing joy from a world of futility. Instead, remember your creator. Seek the life he has for you. Direct the desires of your heart toward those things that honor him and are within his design for you. Rejoice in everything he gives you. Rejoice in the gifts he's given you in your work, in your food, drink, in in each other. Rejoice in the reality that you're not in hell. A few weeks ago, I brought that out. One of the books uh, that we read as our men's group um, was The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And, And as... As uh, he is coming to his point, one of, one of the ways he shows us that we find contentment is to remember, no matter how bad it gets, remember this, you could be in hell. In fact, if we'll all be just really honest with ourselves for a minute, it's not thinking about other people, it's not looking around the room, it's not thinking about, oh, I know, this is about me. I should be in hell. But look at all the gifts he's given me. Look at all the things I have to enjoy. Yeah, there's plenty of darkness. There's plenty of difficulty. There's plenty of bad days that we walk through and endure. But really the call of the scripture is to rejoice even in those. And from Solomon's perspective, if you go back and look at it in Ephesians 3, from Solomon's perspective, we rejoice even in the difficult things because on the darkest of dark days, he is using those to make you beautiful. So, rejoice now. Remove evil. Remember him. Don't miss the sense of urgency. Don't, don't miss that he says this isn't something to wait till later. There's urgency all the way across this passage. You can see it clearly in this poem. And I'm not going to walk through the poem and tell you all the different ways that people could, could have decided, oh, well, you know, the grinders being few, that's teeth falling out. And men being the strong men being bent over, his backs being weak. And there's all kinds of different allegorical images, metaphorical images people have drawn out. And, 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 and here's, the, here's what I would say to you in this poem. Everyone seems to recognize this. It's a poem about life giving way to death. A person growing old and dying. And he's saying before we get to that place. Now I don't know what old is. In fact, I asked a guy last week. We were talking and it was before church. It was in one of the equipped classes. I was like, well, he was talking about when he was in his 50s. Before he was old. I was like, well, what's old then? And then somebody else that heard me ask the question said, well, next year, next year I'll be old. Well, when are you old? I don't really know when you're going to be old. I don't feel 47. I, I mean, I don't feel old enough to somebody call me grandpa. I don't, I don't feel that old. So today's the day to rejoice, to remove evil and remember him. That's the point of the poem. Before I get old. Whatever that age is. 
Whatever day it's coming, do it now. There's urgency to it because it's coming. It's like a train on the tracks that can't be stopped. It's coming. Before you get old, remember your God. Remove evil from your life and rejoice in the life that He's given you as a gift. The time to rejoice is now. Life under the sun is often dark and difficult, but it is God's gift to be received in joy. Now, brothers and sisters, for as much as Solomon understood about the way to know joy in this life under the sun, he couldn't possibly know what we know. See, we have a whole new perspective, a whole new amount of knowledge that gives way to our wisdom because we live on the side of the cross that he looked forward to. We live able to look back and see what God has done. As much as Solomon has been committed to our joy in this book of Ecclesiastes, God is committed to our joy. And if you doubt that in any way, let me just share a few verses with you from our Lord Jesus. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The word joy is not used in that at all. But the contrast between death and life is. You think God's not committed to you having joy? He sent his son. His only begotten son that we might believe in him and receive life. John 10.10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This is in the context of him talking about him being the good shepherd. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that 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 they may have life and have it abundantly. That you may know the fullness of life. That you may not be wishing there was any other, or that you'd never see another need for anything in life. John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you. One of the, some of the last teachings Jesus gave his apostles as they was about to be arrested and tried and crucified. On that fateful night that he's going to be arrested, he is walking with them and he teaches them about the vine and the branches. Abide in me, he says. In John 15, 11, he comes to this conclusion as a result of those things. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Not that you might have a little joy. Not that you might just get a little bit more than somebody else. That your joy may be full. John sixteen thirty three. just a few moments later as he has been walking or or, or teaching through this these things he's talking about his death that's coming he's talking about the holy spirit that he's sending he's talking to them about the joy that's coming and he says this i have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation you get that your savior your lord promised you you will have trouble Hmm. sounds like a lot like solomon But, Solomon couldn't give us a but. But take heart. In fact, in the original language, that could just as easily be translated, be of good cheer. Rejoice. Take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, what leads us to death, Jesus has overcome. And in him we have life. And in him we have 
joy. Jesus is God's guarantee, his gift that brings life and joy to us from above. The Son, rejoice in life, in the life that you have through Jesus. Remove anything in your life that contradicts Jesus. Remember Jesus. Let's pray.